Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Uh, it is a blessing to be here today, and uh, I'm, I'm just... Uh, excited to be back. Uh, actually, I believe that um, it was three years ago, like the end of June, that uh, I finished my interim here. And then somewhere in that next year, I came back, I believe, one other time and got to preach for you guys and, and come back and just kind of see how you were doing. And the Lord's done a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of things here at the, the Valley Church formerly known as uh, First Baptist Payton City. <laughs> Just a joke. Okay, you okay with that? Uh, so, um, hope it's okay to say the Baptist word in here. I'm, you know, so. But I, I'm Baptist through and through, and I know the, that the theology here is very, 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 very conservatively Baptist. Thank you for preaching the word here in the valley. A um, couple things. First of all, who, who in the world was that dude that was standing right here? I mean, when I was here three years ago, it was like, amazing grace. You know, I mean, I mean, like, wow. Where are you, Darren? Where are you? I mean, wow. I'm like, transformation. And uh, who, was that, who was that timid guitar player right here? Amazing. I'm serious. I mean, in three years, you guys have transformed uh, your, your music. It is amazing what God has done. Just uh, letting go and letting the Spirit do what, what only He can do. Um, thankful for Tina. I keep up with a lot of you on Facebook and, and just uh, kind of see where you are. So thank you for having me here today. Um, yeah, I saw the um, Facebook advertisement that, that uh, put my mug up there and, and, um, and said that I was a father figure to many of you. I never, never thought of it like that, but it, I'll take that. I really will. I'll take that. And I'm thankful uh, that uh, I'm glad she didn't put uh, grandfather figure to all of you. But since I've been here, I became a grandfather. So yeah. Yep. Got a little, uh, little, he's not little. He was born, uh, he was uh, 9.14, and uh, he weighs 36 pounds at this point. He's two and three months or something like that, 27 months. When do you, start, when do you stop counting months? I have no idea. So I'm like a thousand million months old. I don't know. But um, it, it is good to be here. And contrary to popular belief, uh, Wayne tried to have me married off. I'm not married. I don't know what happened. He said, where's your wife? And I was like... I have no idea. I don't know where she is. And he goes, didn't you get married? And I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> so anyway, my son got married. Uh, so I gained a, a, in the last three years, I have gained a grandson and a daughter-in-law. So our family is growing. We got to go to the beach down in uh, the great state of Alabama a couple weeks ago. So it's neat to have our family growing. So we're going to be in um, Acts chapter 14, just a minute, if you want to turn into your Bibles, it's in the New Testament, 
It is the fifth book of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts 14. If you are new um, to Christianity or you're visiting today and you don't know where that is, uh, it is the fifth book in the, in the New Testament. But um, when I was young, I, uh, I made a, a, what I believed the profession of faith at nine years old. And I um, thought that uh, Jesus had come into my life and lived out that life. I was one of those kids who went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, anytime the doors were open, that kind of thing. And so I saw Christianity a lot about attendance. Uh, I had all the, uh, the perfect attendance pins from Sunday school and went to every VBS that you could possibly go to. Um, but it's interesting as... As you grow up and you realize that where you are in your life when you're young and where you are at a, at a different point in your life, life can come at you. I, I believe that happens a lot with Christians who are, have grown up in that way, in the way, the way that I did. It's because uh, we live in a bubble. We, we live in a bubble. And, and then when life comes at you very hard, it's interesting how if it hits you right between the eyes, you realize uh, things may not be what they, they are. In my case, I realized that, that I was not a believer in college. College did hit me in the heart and right between the eyes. And I realized that if I, one day I realized that if I was to die that day, that I would be going straight to, to a burning hell and being separated from a holy God. It hit me really, really hard. I went from a class got on my bike, left in the middle of class, ran to my dorm room, uh, well, rode to my dorm room as quick as I could. And the best way I knew how, I surrendered my life to, to Jesus. But my life has never, ever, ever, ever been the same since that day. I'm so thankful that God is faithful to speak to people who think that they are believers. I don't know where you are today. But it, 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 is, it is a tough thing to, to realize that, no, I'm lost today, but my life will never be strained. What, what, have I lived without strife or struggle or pain? You already know the answer to that, absolutely not. Uh, those of you who have given your life to Christ, you realize that, that, a matter of fact, because I was conscientious towards the things of God, that life seemed to get more difficult as I gave my life to Jesus. And in light of that, it was interesting that, that I cared more about the people around me, my community, the people that I lived in a dorm with, um, that were lost, that were unchurched, that, that didn't really know who God was. And, and I asked myself, how could I sit back and, and not share this Christ that had given His life to me and I'd surrendered to Him? But there was one big problem. I didn't know how to share Christ. Really. I didn't really understand that. I, and it's not a criticism on the church that I grew up in, but I was pretty much, uh, I thought I was good, and, and I didn't really learn how to share the gospel. Uh, there was one big problem. I did not know how to do that. But God has a way of placing people in your life, amen, to, the, to things that, that you should do or, or begin to grow in certain areas. Uh, there was a, a set of twins called Michael and Steve Walker in my dorm. And they were involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. I, I guess they, they got tired of the words and just said, okay, we're going to call it Crew. And so at the time, Campus Crusade for Christ. And these guys had a fire for Christ. 
And I sat back and I watched these guys, both of them just give their life to Jesus over and over again. And their goal that semester was to share Christ with every single man in that dorm, which was probably a hundred and something young men. And I watched them and they took a survey and they would go from room to room. They'd knock on the door and uh, one day Michael asked me to go with him. So I said, yeah, I'll go. I'll go with you. So I went with him and I, I watched him conduct this survey and the survey would end up into a a conversation about Jesus and, and where their spiritual background was. And I learned so much watching, watching Mike do this. I saw him uh, become the brunt of jokes as a believer. I saw him cursed out by a Jewish man in our dorm. Rejected time after time. But the most thing that I remember is that Michael, he never seemed to be discouraged by what God had called him to do that semester. And Michael and Steve shared the gospel, or spoke to every single person in that dorm that semester about Jesus. Now, I don't know if he led any of them to Christ, but you know what? It doesn't matter. It's a win-win situation. He planted seeds. He let God use him in a way. But what, what put a fire underneath these young men? I know that semester taught me sharing the gospel is the most important thing that I can do on a daily basis, as hard as we make it out to be, those two young men had an impact on me that I will never forget. And I can't find them on Facebook anywhere. And I wish I could find them and thank them for what they did in my life. But it goes back to the New Testament. What lit a fire under the apostles to continue to do what God had called them to do under these adverse circumstances? What gave them the energy, the drive, the unction to press on under terrible conditions? And they seemed to, to, to ask the question, God, what can we do regardless of what's going on in our life, regardless of how hard it is to be a believer in the New Testament? What lit that fire underneath them? You already know the answer to it, but I'm going to remind you today through Acts, this beautiful discovery of evangelism in the heat of a spiritual battle that you and I are going through every single day. So let's turn into Acts chapter 14. Let's read it together. And if you would, in the honor of our Lord and Jesus, would you stand together with me as we read Acts chapter 14? And we're going to start at verse 8. It is on the screen if you do not have a copy of the word today. In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet. He had never walked and had been lame from his birth. He listened as Paul spoke after looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Paul said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and he began to walk around. When the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, he brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostle Barnabas and Paul, they tore their robes, and, and when they heard that, and they rushed to the crowd shouting, people... Why are you doing these things? Who are We are people too, just like you, and we are proclaiming good news, the gospel to you. 
that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to go on their own way, although he did not leave them without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, and filling you with food in your hearts with joy. Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out to the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith by telling them, This is so important. It is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Can we pray together? Lord, I pray that you would empty our hearts of anything that shouldn't be here today. I pray that you would open our minds to your gospel, to your word that is in front of us this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in ways and in places and things in our lives, God, that you would just clear us of anything that is in the way to hear your word. Lord, I'm simply a vessel this morning. I pray that my mouth would be your mouth. My mind would be your mind. My heart would be your heart. pray that the Holy Spirit would fill every corner of this room. There will be no sign of Satan this morning, God. That nothing that he could do would be in this place. So we pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. And in his name alone. Amen. You may be seated and may the word of God be spoken truthfully today as we study together. So... Presupposition here, I think that all of us in this room would probably agree that we should all share Christ in some form or fashion in our lives. Yes, some are better than others. If you know people who are good at sharing the gospel, I totally get that. I step back and I look at people who are just gifted in that area. But Jesus has called every single one of us to be witnesses for Him. Every single one of us. So open your hearts today to the idea of how you can become more effective witness in this culture, in this social world that we live in. And how do we do that? We do that through the unstoppable power of the gospel. In no other way can we share Christ except the unstoppable power of the gospel. That is the name of my sermon today. So Paul and Barnabas, they were on their first missionary journey. And by this point, they had been expelled from Pisidia, uh, uh, to Iconium, these towns that were in Asia. While in Iconium, they hear a rumor that the Jews who hate them, they don't just dislike them, they hate them. They are on their way to find them and destroy these two men. They can't stand them because they are preaching what they think is a false religious gospel. But while they are there, In that town, look at verse 7, which we did not read. And it says this. This is so important. And they kept on evangelizing. In the CSB, it says, they continued preaching the gospel. This word evangelize is the same exact Greek word into our English language, which means herald. Or speak of the good news. Or Call out God to others. It's like standing on a street corner proclaiming Christ. It is the same word 
interestingly enough. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, when the angels in the sky come and announce the birth of Christ to the disciples. The same exact word. So as they were going, it says they continued to evangelize. It is almost imperative that one understands what this means in our lives. This verse, Paul and Barnabas were in a continual action of evangelizing. As they went, as they walked, as they talked, as they sat down at a coffee shop, as they ate with people, as they walked along the road, they continued to evangelize as they went. But I don't think that we think that way. I don't think that we had this mindset, we as the church, the big C. We don't think that way. We think, well, as I go along, God will maybe give me uh, an opportunity. But we're never in that mindset of sharing gospel. Matthew 28, 19 says, to go therefore. The word go there is better translated as you are going. Not just go. And when we think of go, we think this is missionaries. Those are people who go out there. It's the ones that we pay to go. It's the ones for the pastors to go. But no. Matthew 28, 19 is for all of us. So as we are going, we share Christ. So I want you to see this. Use whatever means available to knock on the doors of the hearts of the lost that you know. Look at verse 15. It says, men, what are you doing? why are you doing these things? And I'll get to the, the understanding here. We are men also with the same nature as you, and we are proclaiming the good news to you. So what happened here in Antioch? It was basically an escape from a riot. So these people were coming after them. The Judaizers had stirred up the Jews and the Gentiles in these other towns, and they had plotted to kill uh, Paul and Barnabas. They had now left the town of Iconium, come to Lystra, to continue their goal of evangelizing those towns, those communities, for Christ. They never stopped doing what they were called to do, but rather, they just changed venues. Okay? They just changed venues. So first of all, see, the people at Lystra, they saw Paul and Barnabas as gods in their eyes. The narrative continues to tell of Paul and Barnabas, healing a man who was lame from birth in verse 8 through 10. The man had heard them speaking, and he saw them, and somehow... Uh, there was a picture of hope and faith in his eyes. And Paul looked at him, and instead of saying, hey, you want to you come to church with me? He goes, stand up and walk on your feet. Now, this is interesting to me, and we don't have a lot of time, but this healing was probably not the only miracle that they had ever done. But in this town, it's the first time they had probably had a miracle in this town. But the key point is this. His faith was not... His faith was not realized until he stood up on his feet. He, he could have sat there and said, okay, appreciate it. Thank you for healing me. Thank you very much. But he realized that God had healed him and he stood up on his feet. But consider this fact. You live in a small town. Anybody live in a small town here? Yeah. This is a small town. Small town America. So, or, or, and, and he, and that, so you know... Uh, this man or woman who has been sick their whole entire lives. You know a man or woman who, who is a paraplegic or quadriplegic. You know someone who has cancer. And all of a sudden, these two men, they show up, and they come to the house, and they say, you know what? You're healed. You're healed completely of that. Now, now we don't really see that around, but what if it really happened? What if God really did that? 
I think about that and I ask the question, what would I do? How would I see these two men? Would I see them as weirdos? Probably. Would I see them as Jesus freaks? Maybe. But we do believe in miracles. Amen? We believe that God can do great things. We all have heartache in our lives. We've seen hard things come into our lives. But we know that God can still do miracles. But what if He performed one in front of you? The point is not the miracle here. The point is this. That miracles were never performed to glorify the person who did the miracle. Miracles were meant to point to the God who did the miracle through the person. Remember that. So always, it was to authenticate Christ in this case. So remember to always point to Jesus. When you see something great happen in your life, point to Him. Don't ever take credit. The problem here is this act should have pointed to Christ. And it did. Paul and Barnabas meant meant for it to point to Christ. But instead, it had reverse psychology. And they came to them and they began to call uh, Barnabas, Zeus, that supreme deity, so to speak. And Paul, Hermes, which is, men, means the messenger who was the spokesman of those two. Hermes is the root word for our word, hermeneutics. Pastor Jonathan, I learned that when I studied that I didn't know that. It is the correct interpretation of Scripture. So if you have the privilege of leading someone to Christ or encouraging them or seeing a miracle in their life, don't ever point to yourself. Don't ever think, well, that, that's another notch in my belt. If you ever lead anybody to Jesus, don't go, all right, that's number 42. And I'm not talking about my waist size. <laughs> Getting close, but not quite. Don't ever point to yourself. So how does society respond to this? Look at this. They use mistaken identity as an opportunity to point to God Almighty. But how does society, how do they look at that pedestal syndrome as I call it? How do they like the fact that when their name is lifted up, how do they like when they are put on some pedestal and say, look at that person. Look at, look at me. Look at what I have done. Look at, look at man, right now, folks, Americans love it. Hollywood loves it. And you're good until you slap somebody on TV. <laughs> we laugh at that, but you know what? It is true. Anybody seen Will doing any new movies lately? Even in the secular world, when you're on the pedestal, you better watch out. Because in our society today, especially now with so many things going on in our lives. Be careful of that. Americans love it. We love it to the point that it's a detriment to the gospel sometimes. In the church, even, we need to be careful that we might place men or women on pedestals where they do not belong. We expect them to perform miracles. And when they don't, they fall hard. Look at the men and women that fall every single day. I have friends who were pastors who have fallen and now they're selling, they're selling insurance. Our world needs people who will not get on the pedestal. Instead, they'll point to Christ. I'm probably spending too much time on this, but the challenge is this. Pray for your pastor. Don't put Jonathan on the pedestal. Love him. Pray for them. 
encourage them, send them food for all their children, but don't put them on the pedestal. Don't do that. Paul and Barnabas, man, they did the opposite. They jumped down and they said, hey, we are men just like you. We are not gods. We are not Hermes. We are, we are not Zeus. The two really didn't know what was going on until the religious people came around with the bull and they were going to sacrifice to these. And they went, wait a minute. They jumped down. But use every opportunity that you have. Every opportunity you have to share Christ. I love the fact that churches all over our world are sharing Jesus. I was down in War, West Virginia the last two days. Anybody ever been to War? One, two people. It, you know when they say, and to the ends of the earth? War, West Virginia. Okay? It's, it's the southernmost point. It's the, it's the furthest town south in West Virginia. They had flooding down there a couple weeks ago. So I went down there to uh, encourage some of our folks who were doing disaster relief. Uh, one of my other hats, Jonathan, just to, to be uh, there. I ended up uh, getting my hands dirty, which I was really glad I was able to do that. But we, we are in this house uh, with a lady who has lost um, all her furniture, her refrigerator, her flooring. They've, they've already pulled the flooring out. And we were able to go into her house and pray with her. Pastor Chad, who we have a church down there, and we're housing people in his church. We slept in the church. I slept in the church on Friday night. Doing food. People from the community coming into the church to get food. Do you know what kind of doors that has opened to Pastor Chad? All of a sudden, people know who Pastor Chad is. He's tried really hard to, to know people in the community. I think they have a huge population of 852 people. But they know who Pastor Chad is now. God is going to do some great things, so use every opportunity. Secondly, I want you to see that God has and always has had a witness of His goodness and His redemption. Verse 17 says this, Although He did not leave Himself without a witness, since He did good, giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. I've always wondered how the gospel, as amazing as it is, made it through the last 2,000 years. I don't know about you, but think about it. The scrutiny, the insurrection, uh, the, the criticism, the scandal, the dark ages, the crusades, the Catholic domination, uh, the Reformation. How has the gospel made it? Let me tell you this, because the gospel is not only powerful, it is not only powerful, it is supernatural. The gospel is supernatural. It can go to places and, and through places that you and I could never go. My dad was in Vietnam in 1967 or 8. I can't remember. He was gone for a complete year. He was in the military. I remember it vaguely because I was very, very young. I remember him coming home and talking about how devastated the country was. And I've seen pictures of, of uh, Saigon when it was destroyed. But have you seen Saigon lately? Amazing. Transformed. Did you know that mission teams are going there freely to preach the gospel now? 
You know why? Because the gospel is not only powerful, it is supernatural. It can go anywhere. But, but on, on, in, in light of that, though God is love and though His gospel is powerful, He does not force people to know Him. He doesn't force people. He doesn't force into the hearts of people. One of the attributes of God that never ceases to amaze me is that, that His incredible love, acts of love in, in this, in, to His creations. You think about this. Not only did He know that he would send his only son. Not only did he know that he would watch him die a horrible death for us, not only did he know that Christ would raise from the dead, but he is continually patient with those who reject him. Why? Because it's his character. Time and time again, not only is he, is he patient with those, he's patient with us. Because that is his character. Look at this verse. Psalm 144, 3 and 4. Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that, that you would even visit him? Because man is like a breath. His, his days are like a passing shadow. He doesn't say, who is man? He doesn't even personalize it that we are even... He says, what is man? We're just an object in the eyes of man. But in the eyes of God, we are his people. I'm going to help you think here a little bit. Got an engineering background. Obviously, I wasn't good at it because I'm doing this now. But (laughs) put your life in perspective here. There are between 6 and 7 billion people on the face of the earth. I think there may be more than 7 now. I don't know. Once you get past 3 or 4, it doesn't matter, does it? You're approximately 1.67 times 10 to the minus 8% of the entire population of the world. 1.67 times 10. That means there are 8 zeros on the other side of 1.67%. But yet, God still loves you. He still cares for you. He still knows your heart. He still knows everything that's going on in your life. You know what we sang about this morning, the things that Tina said, and all that? It's so true. We're called to worship this holy God that cares about us, even though we are that small of a percentage. But how does God show his love toward those who reject him? Look at this. Through his church. You, you may wonder why God leaves you here on earth instead of just taking you to heaven. Why not just get saved and go to heaven? Why not just, just be done with it? Anybody here just tired of the world and just want to be gone? Jesus, come back. Maranatha. We feel that way sometimes, but you may wonder why God has kept you here. You may, you may not like the way you're treated at work. You may not like the way that your family treats you. You may have lost people in your family. You may struggle with, with physically with where you are. You may struggle with the fact that you are passed up by promotion. You may, be, you may be even persecuted. But the people in Lystra had no idea that God had sent this witness to their city. They, they had no clue. Their community through Paul and Barnabas, here they are. God was there in the form of a redeemed human being. And that is you. 
You wonder why, why I think of, of people who are lonely or, or those who are um, taking care of their kids. Mom, if you're a single mom and you're struggling, why does God keep you here? Because you're there for your children. You're there to teach them about Christ. Grandparents, you wonder, I'm old and decrepit. What can I do? You can pray. God can use you. You wonder, why am I on this stinky job? Why? Why do I have to be in this horrible job? Because God wants you to be the representation of Christ where you are. No matter what. I've been in crappy jobs. Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. My wife always told me not to say that word. Have you ever been in a stinky job? And you just wonder, why? Back in the late 90s, which, believe it or not, was almost 25 years ago. <laughs> wow. I, I, got, I got laid off from a job as an engineer. Told you I wasn't very good at it. And um, got another job. Didn't know the product. Didn't know the people. Didn't know anything about it. Came in just blind. And I wonder, why am I here, God? Wanted to be in full-time ministry, struggling mentally, just struggling. And I met a guy named Butch. <laughs> Butch from Alabama. Who knew? And Butch hated engineers. He was a draftsman. Been there for 20-something years. Really smart guy. Really intelligent guy. But he hated engineers because he thought that we made a lot more money than he did. But contrary to popular belief, that was not true. And Butch just hated me. I came in, and I'd, I'd ask him questions. He drew for me. And I said, Butch, let me ask you this. And he'd go, well, you're the engineer. You answer it. And day after day, he would ridicule me. Day after day, I had to bite my lip. Day after day, I would go, why am I here? Day after day, I would, I would do my best just to be nice to him. And one day, God said, Butch is lost. Butch needs Jesus. Just be kind to him. So I began to pray for Butch. And I began to ask God to help me just to be kind to Butch. So every day I would be kind to Butch. I tried to share the gospel with him a couple of times. But Butch is one of those guys that he would call in drunk. And he would say, I'm quitting today. And they say, Butch, don't quit. Just sleep it off. I learned a lot about Butch. So I just continued to be kind to him. But he wouldn't have anything to do with the gospel. In the day that I was called to Kentucky as a pastor, my last day, he came to my cubicle. And I went, oh no, here we go. Here comes Butch. Butch standing there and he goes, I heard you're leaving. And I said, yeah, I'm Butch. And he said, you're going to be a pastor up there? And I said, yeah. And he goes, can you make a living being a pastor? And I said, I sure hope so. Got two kids and a wife. It better, better work out for me. This is what he said. He said, I'm going to miss you around here. I was blown away. That's all he said, and he walked off. Found out later that Butch died from alcoholism. But it always breaks my heart to think, what could I have done more to lead Butch to Christ? 
You're there for a reason, ladies and gentlemen. But one way he reveals himself is his simple act of kindness and his provision. I know that I'm running late, so please stay with me. Take a moment to think of the hardest criminal that might live on earth. He or she is in solitary confinement for life. And how does God speak to them? The proverbial man on the island who lives alone with no witness. How does God speak to them? The answer is the creation. The answer is general revelation. It it reveals his kindness. Think of Paul's hardened heart. How did God speak to him? He still had this responsibility of acknowledging God, and he was was not off the hook from his lostness. That That place is where we all start. Then Paul preaches this mini-sermon in verse 15 through 17, and I'll blow through this. First of all, he acknowledged God as the living God. Where where there is someone who is living, there is life, there's breath, there's movement, there's activity. The apostles had spoken, they had heard, and they had touched this Christ with their hands, this living God in human form in verse 15. That same living God, Jesus, is responsible for all of creation. Yes, he was there at the creation. The Trinity was there at creation. And then lastly, that same living and creating, Jesus is the one who shows his kindness by giving you daily provisions. Not only do you see it in creation, but you see how he gives things to you. The gift of creation, rain, food, it points to the love of Jesus Christ. That's where most people have to start. Consider these verses in Romans for this invisible, his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen in the creation of the world. Being understood though uh, through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. But let me tell you this, folks. When it all comes down to it, when it all comes down to that day that you would lay on your deathbed, no one can deny the beauty of a sunrise. No one can deny the opening of a beautiful rose if you watch it open. No one can deny the credible miracle of childbirth. When both of my kids were born, I looked at them and go, what a miracle of God. What a miracle. They might call themselves atheists, agnostic, but deep down in their soul, when they lay their head on the pillow at night, something is bigger than themselves. Don't be concerned. God will reveal himself to them. Breaks my heart when I think about Stephen Hawking, one of the most brilliant men ever on the, on the planet. But he was blinded by his intelligence. And on his deathbed, he said, there is no God. No one directs the universe. Really? The result, this action... Barely silenced the crowd and they continued to sacrifice to the two gods they had composed. Just as our society, our community does, they might be hardened to the gospel. So was this community, but they, that doesn't change the ultimate goal. It changes the strategy. So we don't ever quit what we're doing in evangelism. We move on. And point three, and I'll try my best to, to move on here. When opposition comes to you as a believer, take that. As a sign that you are following hard after God. Okay? Don't be discouraged. What was the result of this visit to Lystra? A road trip to Derby. So they took this road trip 100 miles east, which is probably four or five days travel. 
And what happened there? The Judaizers who came from Antioch, Iconium, and then to Lystra. Now they're coming, they're coming, to, they're coming to Derby. They, they want to kill them and rid them. They find Paul. They stone him. They leave him for dead. They drag him out to the city, to the dump, to let him die. They had accomplished what they wanted to do. End of story. I don't think so. It's an amazing story. The question is, what would you do if you realized that you had survived a stoning? What would you do? Would you have a pity party? I know I would. Anybody here have a pity party? I've been stoned. How about you? That's a story you can tell around the dinner table. Would you run home? Most of us probably would. Would you call an ambulance chaser? Plenty of them in West Virginia, I'll tell you that. I think I might do that. Not these guys. Not these guys. Remember this, that there will always be those who consider you a religious freak or just plain crazy. Remember that. Apparently there was, no, there was a period of time that apostles had already been there because there were believers there. They helped him to recover from a stoning. That's a miracle in itself. I'm sure the percentage of those who were stoned did not live. They would put them in this hole and throw, not these little pebbles, they would throw stones upon them. It was a death sentence. So we tend to take it on the chin sometimes when, when we, we are a believer just for being a Christian. We, we are called bigots, intolerant, unloving, uncaring. We consider persecution in some way as this horrible, hurtful thing. But please hear me out. Please hear me out. Even though those things are true and they're hard, that is not biblical persecution. I believe it's coming to America, but it's not biblical persecution. Yes, it hurts. Yes, people shouldn't do that. But yes, mankind is hateful and mean because they are lost. They are without Jesus. That's why they act like butch. That's why they do those things. They act that way because the Spirit has not redeemed their soul. So be patient with them and love them. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are blessed when you are insulted and, you, and persecuted and you are falsely when they say things about you uh, because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is in heaven. It's not here. It's not on this earth for this is how they persecute the prophets who are before you. He warned us that it would happen. You are the salt of the earth. But if you're the salt and you lose its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything to be thrown out and trampled by men. So remember that God has you exactly where it, you should be. And then lastly, don't allow the negativity of the world to keep you from fulfilling your ministry. God has called every single one of you to a place, to a time, for a purpose, to be the example representation of Christ. So what did Paul and Barnabas do? They didn't run. They didn't have a pity party. They didn't call the ambulance chaser. They went to Derby and evangelized that town. When he, when he got over his stoning, he went and evangelized the town. Amazing to me. I'm shocked at this. I'm shocked that, that Paul would get up and, and do that. They could have gone back home another way. They could have gone, if they were going east, why didn't they just go back to Jerusalem and say, hey, we need some time off. But you know what they did? If this is Derby, Jerusalem is down here, they went back to the towns in which they were just visiting. Why? 
because they cared more about helping the new converts than they did their own lives. Let me tell you, folks, that is bold. The Judaizers and the Gentiles were there waiting for them, but yet they went on back to those towns. What if Paul and Barnabas had decided to run? What if they just went on back to Jerusalem? What if they, they just said, ah, we quit, we're done with this, the gospel's not worth it. What if they had gone back moaning and groaning about how they were treated? We just quit, this is too hard. You might think or say that same thing, but if this had happened, I thought about this, those churches in Asia may not have been strengthened. We don't know where those churches are now, but I will tell you this. What if they had not done that and strengthened those believers? And what if they had not gone into Eastern Europe? What if they had not gone into Western Europe? What if they had not gone to England? What if they had not, eventually, the gospel had not got onto the Mayflower? What if the, the gospel had not gone into America? What if the gospel had not gone west? What if the gospel had not come to West Virginia? What if the gospel had not come to Payton City, West Virginia? You might not even know Christ. I think about that often and, and the, the, what Paul and Barnabas did for Christ. Your town, your neighborhood. I can't prove that, but what if? In closing, there is... There was a young man named Desmond Doss in World War II. He, he actually decided to enlist into the army at his father's chagrin, who was a World War I vet. Desmond Doss, there's a movie about it, you may have seen that. He was a conscientious objector. When he was in... In his training, he was made fun of because he had a Bible. He was made fun of because he was, he was trying to live out Christ in front of some tough men. His CO made fun of him, tried to make him quit because he wouldn't carry a rifle or even a pistol on his side. He became a medic. And he's best known for... His, the battles that he fought, fought in the Philippines and Guam, but mostly his valor at the Battle of Okinawa. Think about this young man. How he loved his country and he loved his God. And he went into battle without a pistol against the Japanese. And if you've seen the movie... Hacksaw Ridge, there's this huge ridge, a 100-foot ridge that they had to climb up these ropes um, to get up on, on the ridge to go fight the Japanese who were up on the hill. First day that they were up there, there were so many Japanese, they just came and began to slaughter their platoon. And many of them were wounded and killed. And They're all going back down, they're retreating, and he's the last one there. And he, he, He's about to go down, and then he heard the cries of his, his friends out in the field. And he looked up in the sky and he said, what do you want me to do? He's talking to God. So he begins to go out into the field. 
and bring them back. Those who were wounded, he would drag them back, including his CO. That day, he saved the lives of 75 men because of his valor. In the movie, they portray him as he's, he's lowering down these men and his hands are bloody from lowering down on a rope. And it's, he's, he's tired and, and he's, he's almost given up. And then he looks up in the sky and it never ceases to get me. He says, God, give me one more. And I know it, it's, an, it's Hollywood, but... But I think about that young man, but I think about this, is that that should be the cry of the Christian church. No matter how many people you lead to Christ, no matter how many people you minister to, no matter how many people that God puts around you, look up in the sky and say, God, give me one more. Do something else in me. Do whatever God has called you to do. Can we pray? Lord, I thank you for your word. I'm guilty of not being ready, Lord, when I have opportunities. I'm guilty of that, Lord, and we're all guilty of that. So I'm not here to beat up these people. I'm not here to beat up your sheep. I'm here to simply encourage them to look around and see what God is doing in their lives. Who has, have you put into their lives, whether it is a neighbor, whether it's a family member, whether it is, it is a, a child, uh, maybe they're a teacher, God, whoever it is, Lord, I pray that you would use them as your tools for the gospel, that we would continue, that we would continue to evangelize, that we would herald the gospel as Paul and Barnabas did and then after we're done with it after we finish what you've called us to do that we would simply point to you and give you praise and honor and glory for what you have done not what we have done thank you for Valley Church thank you that you have placed them right here I knew the first time that I came in here God that you were working in this place I knew that you were going to use this church I didn't know the whole story, but God, I did, we didn't know that Pastor Jonathan and Precious would be back. But God, you have your place for this church right here on the river. So we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to ask you four questions today. We're going to open up this. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable, that's totally, totally, absolutely fine. No pressure whatsoever. But I want you to think about where you are in your life, what God is doing in your life, and where God has placed you. But I need to ask you this question. You know, are you at a place in evangelism that is just completely foreign to your heart? That, you know, maybe you have given up on being salt and light, that you just feel beat up and you just feel like God's done with me in this world. When so many people around you need a glimpse of hope. Secondly, you think that maybe being a witness is somebody else's job, that it's Pastor Jonathan's job or deacons or Sunday school teachers or older people or more mature people. Today, 
you, made to, you need to make a decision to say, I'm going to do the work of an evangelist that 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 calls us to be. Think about this. Have you lost your, your zeal for your neighbor? I did a while back. And God called me back and said, you need to care for Mike. Mike's lost. You need to love Mike and Ellie. Today, you want to renew your concern for your community. Maybe you just need to come and pray for somebody in your neighborhood. Pray that you can be more of a prayer warrior for them, engage with them. Then lastly, maybe you just need to renew your commitment to Christ. And say, you know, this life that I live in has become just, it's, it's got me down. Maybe you need to renew through your life, through tithes, through offerings, through care for missions, efforts. Maybe you need to volunteer more. I don't, I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter. The church needs to become a priority in your life today. Maybe you've put it way on the back burner. So whatever it is, I want to invite you. Uh, you know, if you need to come and talk to Pastor Jonathan or some other leader or ladies, if you want to come and talk to Precious, do that right now, whatever it is. Let's just give it over to the Lord. I'm going to turn it over to the praise team and, and Pastor Jonathan at this time. So let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.